Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Welcome to I Am Persuaded, and thank you so much for clicking on and tuning into this episode. I greatly appreciate it, and I pray that it'll be a blessing to you. What we've been doing on the past couple of episodes is we're just going through a psalm during each episode. So we've looked at Psalm 1, we've looked at Psalm 2, and we've looked at Psalm 3. So today we'll dive into Psalm 4, and really Psalm 3 and 4 kind of go together. They're written probably within the same week or so of David's life, and they have the same historical context, and so I'll go back over that again. But first, let me just read Psalm 4 to you, and if you're listening in the car, you can just listen as I read. If you're sitting down, I would encourage you to get your Bible out and just follow along as we'll just go verse by verse. It's eight verses through Psalm chapter four and to see how the Lord can speak to us and we can apply this to our life. Verse one says this, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up in the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that thou that their corn and their wine increased, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. So Psalm 4 and Psalm 3, as I said in the beginning, kind of go hand in hand, and they share the same historical context. Many scholars would say that Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. It's an a.m. psalm, one that you would read in the morning before you get going uh, to find encouragement. Many would agree that Psalm 4 is a p.m. psalm. So you can imagine as David is wandering out, he's been exiled um, because of what's going on with his son and as he is chasing him off of the throne, he's been exiled. And in the morning, he's distressed and he's discouraged and he pins Psalm 3. But at night, he's laying there and he's he's having a hard time falling asleep. And so what's David do? He starts reflecting on God. He starts communing with God and he pulls out a tablet and he begins jotting down just some thoughts as he prays and he communicates with God. Let me ask you, have there ever been times in your life, and probably there has been, where you find yourself at night worrying and you cannot sleep? You find yourself distressed, you're tired, you're weary, you're stressed out, and you go to lay down to go to sleep, and yet you cannot fall asleep because your mind is racing through all of these scenarios, through the events of the day, through the people that have opposed you, through the betrayal that you face, through whatever it is, and you lay there for hours and hours and hours on end, and you cannot fall asleep. That's David in Psalm chapter 4. And so the historical context, many would agree, David is running for his life. He and his family have been exiled from Israel. He is the king. God has appointed David king over Israel. But Absalom, his son, fears that Solomon will soon get the throne when David passes it down. So instead of um, Absalom trying to believe and trust in the plan of God, he takes it upon himself 
to gather up many men, to get an army, and to chase his father out of Israel, off of the throne, so that he can take authority and be king in Israel. Now, this is Absalom. This is David's son. This is David's family, one whom David loves. And now he is being ran out of his his home, being ran out of his city, being taken off of his throne as he is exiled in the wilderness somewhere, running from his son, Absalom. And so David, this really uh, hurt David. David felt betrayal. David felt heartache. David felt distress as someone that he was close to, someone that he trusted, someone that he loved has now turned their back on him, has gathered an army, and now they're seeking to take David's life so that Absalom can have the throne and ultimately be king there in Israel. So try to put yourself in David's shoes for just the next few moments as we work our way through Psalm chapter 4. And that's really the context of Psalm 3 and 4. David and his family are exiled, running for their life, and he's fearing for his life, and he's in great distress. And so as he goes to lay down one night, I can almost imagine it, kind of like when he's running from Saul and he hides in the caves of En Gedi. You can kind of sense that's where David's at. He's running from Absalom. He's been here before, but yet he's hiding out probably in a cave somewhere on the outskirts of Israel as Absalom's army are chasing after him, trying to kill him, trying to take his throne and ultimately take his life. And David goes to try to fall asleep and he can't. Like a lot of us at times, the events of the day, the heartache that we're facing, the betrayal that we've went through, the worry that's in our heart and in our mind starts playing in our minds as we try to fall asleep and David cannot get rest. So let's start in verse number one and see how David handles this scenario in his life. It says in verse one, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And so Psalm 4 verse 1 starts off like a lot of Psalms do, where David basically is asking God for his ear. Hear that in the first verse? Hear me when I call, O God. So David is in a place where he feels like he's alone. David's in a place where he feels like he is outcasted from all those that he's close to, except probably a a few of his family members there with him. David is away from his home. He's away from his throne. He's away from his people. He's away from the place where God dwells. And David is fearing for his life. And so when David is in these scenarios of life, you see that all throughout the Psalms. What does David do? God I need you close right now. God, I need your ear to me right now. God, I need to just feel your presence. Lord, I want to know that you're near to me. God, will you just listen to me as I call out on your name? So what he says, hear me when I call, oh God. And friend, that's a good practice for us. When we're in the bed at night and we're stressing over all the events of the day, what should we say? Should we lay there and worry about it? Should we lay there and fret about everything that's taken place during our day? Absolutely not. We should say, God, I am a believer in you. I have trusted in Jesus Christ for my righteousness and for my redemption. Therefore, I can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need. So God, I'm going to need your ear right now. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to vent to you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to bring petitions to you. I'm going to praise you. But God, I need you right now. 
Friend, that's a great practice. When we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, Lord, I need your ear. God, hear my prayer. That's what he said in verse one. Then he goes on to say, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Now, notice what David is doing here. He's not saying, God, you need to hear my prayer because I'm righteous. He's not saying, God, I need you to hear my prayer because I've earned a position with you. God, I need you to hear my prayer because I've earned a proper standing with you. No, he's understanding the story of redemption quite well in verse number one. He's saying, God, you are my righteousness. So God, I need you to hear my prayer because God, any righteousness that I have, it's not of self, it's of you, God. And that's the gospel in verse one. Any good thing that we have, we didn't earn it. We didn't make it on our own. We cannot go to heaven based on our good works. We receive righteousness not based on the works that we have done, but the works that Christ has already accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. Any righteousness that we have in our life is because Jesus Christ gives us his righteousness. It's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God the Father, hath made him Jesus the Son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he takes our sin and he gives us our righteousness. So when we pray to God, we have proper standing with God, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us 2,000 years ago. So he says, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. I love what he says after that. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. I love that in the middle of the verse. You, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, this Hebrew wording paints a really vivid picture that really is not portrayed in the English. But what he's saying is, God, there's been a time in my life, and the word distress in the Hebrew gives us the picture of being backed into a corner, being in a very tight and confined space as the enemy is approaching. We're being backed up. Imagine in a cave, and here comes these enemies, this army trying to attack us, and we're taking steps back, and the wall is getting closer, and we're being backed into this corner. David says, God, I've been here. God, I've been in this exact scenario that I'm in right now. He's probably thinking on the time when he was running for his life from Saul and he was backed into a cave in En Gedi. You can read about that in the earlier years of David's life. And so David says, God, I've been here. But notice what he says, thou hast enlarged me. Kind of what he means is, Lord, in those seasons when I was distressed, in those seasons when I was confined, in those seasons when I was in that tight space, when my back was against a wall, God, you opened up a field and you blessed me and you let me run and you let me be free. And so if he is speaking about the time with Saul, after he was backed into a corner, God ultimately took Saul's life. And David could run free. David had free reign to be king over Israel. And God blessed him. God used him. God appointed him. So what's David saying? God, I've been in this scenario before and you've been faithful. We can all say that. God, we've been in a similar situation before. Maybe not the exact same setting like David. But God, I've been where my back's against a wall, where I feel like I have nowhere to turn. I've laid here at night and tossed and turned. I've been in these tight, confined spaces. But God, 
You have blessed and you have helped me. So what he says in verse one, then he goes on to say, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. God, I don't deserve your help, but I'm asking for it anyway. And Lord, I need you to hear my prayer. So again, he ends the verse one by saying the same thing he said, hear me, God, hear my prayer. That's just a reminder for us. He's listening, but sometimes we need God just to come in close. God, hear my prayer. God, hear my heart. God, hear my distress. And God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, because all my righteousness comes from you. In this moment of distress, Jesus, I trust you. Grace is receiving something that we do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving something that we do deserve. So David's saying, have mercy on me. I deserve punishment. I deserve death. I deserve the death penalty. But God, have mercy on me because my righteousness comes from you. So I'm not getting something that I do deserve. That's us. He has mercy on us every single day. What do we deserve that we're not getting? On the greater scale, we deserve hell. We deserve no righteousness, but yet we don't get hell because he's gracious and he gives us what we do not deserve. Verse two, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Now, Psalm two, uh, he's speaking to the enemy. He's speaking to Absalom and his army, but the way that he's doing it is profound. He's speaking to God in verse one, and he's speaking to his enemy hypothetically in verse two. So David is carrying on this like imaginary conversation with his enemy in his prayer to God. So he's speaking to God, but he's speaking to his enemy through God, if that makes sense. So he's saying, God, here's what I need you to do. I need you to hear my prayer. So everything I'm about to say is in my prayer. And then he's going through what he would say to his enemy as he asked God for help. So he says in verse two, O ye sons of men, that's his enemy, that's Absalom's army, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? So what's happening in David's life, as I said in the beginning, he's running for his life from Absalom. But what's happened on the larger scale is they've spread lies about David. They've come up with this elaborate story and spread literally uh, probably years worth of plotting and planning to overthrow the throne. And they've made up this false narrative about the life of David. And so people are believing it. And so David says to them in this hypothetical conversation, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long are you going to attempt to defraud my name? How long are you going to continue to spread lies about me? How long is that going to take place? And so David speaking to these people, he is asking the enemy, how long would they love sin? It's basically what he's saying. See the verse. How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity or emptiness and seek after leasing? And so David is saying, how long are you going to spread this narrative? How long are you going to spread this hate and spew this, um, these lies and deceit about me? And friend, that might be you. You know, David, I believe he's so hurt here in Psalm 4 because it's family. It's the person that's closest to him. And you know, a lot of times what I hear from church people and people who are followers of Jesus, some of the greatest hurt they face in their life is church hurt. Those who are close to them, those whom they loved, those whom they trusted with some of the deepest secrets of their life. 
and then for them to turn around and gossip about them. Maybe this is you. Maybe you have told someone something. You've trusted someone with something about your life, and the person you trusted turned around and betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, and spread lies about you and came up with this elaborate story to where Kind of what David is saying, my glory was turned into shame. You have taken my name and defrauded it. You have taken my name and ran over it. And so David says, how long will you love sin? How long will you spread and spew this hate? And then the word he uses in the English here, and seek after leasing. That's the word that we don't use all that often today. But the word means to deceive or lie. Really paints the picture of habitual lying. So literally years upon years upon years of lies piled on against one person. David says, how long will this go on? How long will you love sin? How long will you try to defraud my name and and backstab me and betray me? And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's why you toss and turn at night because you've been hurt in the church. Someone has betrayed you. Someone has backstabbed you. Maybe you're one of those people who I've talked to who say, I'm not even going to step foot back in that church. I might not ever go to church again because of the hurt that I faced. So maybe this is your prayer. Maybe you're asking God to come in close. And maybe you're saying through to God about them, how long will they love sin? How long will they continue this regime and how long will they continue to spread these lies about me now the answer is never to turn away from god the answer is always to turn to god and let him be the avenger what you'll find in this story in psalm 4 and you read about it in a couple other psalms is that david doesn't handle this problem himself david doesn't go to the person that backstabbed him and he doesn't go and and fight him and get vengeance for himself the lord is his avenger and so he's going to allow the lord to work it out as he sees fit. And that's what we have to do. We have to, when we're backstabbed and we're betrayed, when we're hurt, we've just got to let the Lord handle it. At the end of the day, we've got to say, God, I trust you with my life enough to take me to heaven. So I trust you with the affairs of men that are going on right now in my life. Jesus, I trust you. That's where David's at as he prays in Psalm chapter four, verse two. His enemies are seeking wickedness. Then verse three. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. So notice verse 1, he's asking God to hear him. Verse 3, David's confident. He says in the last phrase of verse 3, The Lord will hear me when I call unto him. He's got confidence in verse 3. He's already been in God's presence for just a few minutes, and his demeanor has already changed. Not, God, will you please hear me? God, I know you're listening. God, I know you're there. God, I know you're listening to me when I call upon you. That's him at the end of verse 3. The first part of it says this, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. And say, what's David saying? David is saying, also he's still speaking to his enemy, but speaking to God at the same time. And he's saying, what you're ultimately trying to do is not overthrow me, but you're trying to overthrow the plan of God. Because at the end of the day, David did not appoint himself king like Absalom was trying to do. God appointed David to be king years ago. And so David is saying, God's plan is what you're attacking here. You're not attacking me as a person. You're not attacking me as your father. You're not attacking me as a king as much as you are attacking God and his plan. Because Absalom, God has set me apart for this. This is God's will for my life. He says, but know the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. 
This is God's plan. And friend, if what you faced is church hurt or hurt in your family and you know you're in the will of God, you know you've not sinned, you know you've not turned your back on God, you know you've not um, tried to rebel against God's plan for your life, but you're living in God's plan for your life, you can pray verse 3. Listen, God has set me apart for this. This is God's plan for my life. God has chosen me for this. And so no matter what you might say, you're not attacking me, you're attacking God's plan. Verse 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. So what he's saying is, hey, while I'm trying to fall asleep, I hope you are laying in your bed and you're thinking about your actions and you're thinking about the way you're living right now, Absalom, and all of your army. He is calling him out. But he says in the first first phrase of verse 4, stand in all and sin not. Now the Hebrew word for all, some translators translate that anger. And so it kind of paints the picture of the New Testament, be ye angry and sin not. And so some would say that Paul is quoting Psalm 4 when he said, stand in all and sin not. So it kind of saying the same thing there, stand in all or as you are angry, do not sin. David is praying to God, talking to his enemies. Here's what he's wanting. He's wanting them to repent. And so I find that very, very amazing that as David is praying to God about his enemies, he's not saying, God, wipe Absalom off the face of the earth. He's not saying, God, do away with his enemies, do away with his army, completely just rid him off the face of the earth. He's saying, God, I want them to repent. God, I want them to stand in awe of who you are. And I want them in their anger to not sin, to not give in to the devil. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament. Be angry and sin not. Neither give place to the devil in your life. Not Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. And so when we do, we're giving foothold to the devil in our life. And so what David is saying here to his enemies, hey, you can live this way, you can act however you want, but I'm calling you to repent. I'm not asking God to wipe you off the face of the earth. I'm asking God to avenge this. I'm asking God to handle this. But what I really want in my son is I want him to repent. And I want him to come back to you, God, and to restored fellowship with you. It says on in the verse, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. So he's saying to his enemies, I want you to stop and just think about how you're living. Better yet, Get with God, get near to God and let him handle your heart. That's what I need from you. That's what he's saying to his enemies. Get along with God. Stop chasing me. Get along with God and let him handle your heart so that you can be driven to repentance. And friend, what a prayer to pray for our enemies. What a prayer to pray for the ones that are attacking us. What a prayer to pray for those that are angry with us and those that are spewing lies against us. God, I need you to work in their heart. God, I need you to call them to repentance. God, I need you to get real with them and you handle their heart as they listen to you speak. Verse five, I love it. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Again, he's speaking to his enemies as he speaks to God and he teaches a profound truth. Only repentance that is brought out by a sincere sacrifice will be accepted. Verse four, he wants them to repent. But he says, hey, you cannot just say, hey, 
forgive me, and you never be sincere. You've got to be sincere in your repentance so that as you bring a sacrifice to God, he accepts it. So you see all throughout the Old Testament in the sacrificial system, if the sacrifice was not pure, if the sacrifice was not spotless or blemish-free, God would not accept it. And so he's saying here, Offer sacrifices of righteousness. Go and seek forgiveness and repentance in the right way. So notice what David is doing. He is asking God to convict those that oppose him, and he's asking God to help him in this time so that he can see them come to repentance. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And then he says, put your trust in the Lord. You know, there are, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, call us to action. They say, let us offer or present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So what he's saying here in verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Speaking to us in the New Testament, we find that in Romans 12, verse 1. Offer our bodies a living sacrifice. The next word, holy which only a sacrifice that is holy is acceptable unto God. So as they repent, David is saying, you've got to do it right. You've got to do it holy. And then he says, put your trust in the Lord. So David understands something here. You can claim to be a Christian and offer the right sacrifices and attempt to live an obedient life and read scripture and go to church and do all of the right things. But if you're doing it out of a heart that is not right with God, it's pointless. So David says, you've got to put your trust in God when you offer your sacrifice. So what does that say to us? It says a couple of things. It says if we are the person that's playing church, if we are the person that is saying we're a Christian, but we live like we're not a Christian and we know we're not a Christian, he's not hearing our sacrifices. He's not hearing our prayer. He's not working in our life. We must first put our trust in Jesus. And then the prayer that he's praying for his enemies is the prayer that we should pray for our enemies. Not just that they see their sin, but they truly repent of their sin and they turn to Jesus. No greater blessing should come to the life of a Christian than when a family member betrays them and they pray for that person instead of getting revenge on that person. They pray for them, they see them repent, and they see them turn to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior of their life. So he says, put your trust in the Lord. Verse 6. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. Verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. So as David is coming to a close in this psalm, he says in verse 6, there be many that say, who will show us any good thing? And so what David is saying here, is there's a lot of people that are from Israel, that were under his leadership, that are now questioning the goodness of God and their leader's ability to lead. As the lies from verse 4 are being spewed out about David, or verse 3 rather, are being spewed out about David, people are questioning his leadership and they're also questioning the goodness of God. That's what he says. There be many, there's a lot that say, show us any goodness. Our leader's not good now. Is God even good? They're questioning it. And David says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. That's a quote from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And I'll paraphrase it. He says, may the Lord bless you 
and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And so he's quoting from that. He's saying, God, shine your countenance, shine your light, shine your face upon them. No greater thing could he say. This phrase, let your light or your countenance shine upon them. It speaks of God's personal presence and his covenantal blessings to God's people. David asked God very plainly to be faithful to his promises and to be faithful in the fullest measure that he can be. The Lord set him apart and David trust him with his overall sovereign plan for the people of Israel and for his life. So what does that mean for us? For our enemy, God bring them to repentance, verses four and five. God, as people begin to question us, the church, as people begin to question your goodness, God, I just ask you to be real in their life and you show yourself very clear so that they can see you for who you truly are. Let us, let them see your face and let your glorious radiance and brilliance shine upon them as only it can. So what's he saying? God, you just be real to them. God, you reveal yourself to those people who are questioning. And maybe you're the one that's questioning. Maybe you're the one laying in bed and you're saying, God, are you even there? God, are you even near? My prayer for you is that right now, God will shine his light of his countenance upon you and you feel his loving arms. Verse seven, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine was increased. So what's he saying there? A very simple but profound truth. He's saying, God, I would rather that your people have you than all the riches in the world. So what he said, thou hast put gladness in my heart. God, I'm more glad right now running for my life than when I was uh, with great goods increased with corn and increased with wine. When I had great material objects, I was not as happy as I am right now as you're close to me. And friend, what a prayer. God, I'm more content when I have you close in my life than when I have all the world's riches. What a prayer to pray when we're running for our life, when we're in that tight spot, when we've been betrayed, when we've been hurt. God, I trust you today. I trust you in my life. And God, I'm more pleased. I'm more glad. I'm more happy. I'm more blessed than when I have you and your word speaking to me than if I had all the world's riches. Now listen to verse eight as we conclude. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. So as David closes this psalm, here's what he says. God, I've poured my heart out to you. God, I've prayed that they would come to repentance. I wasn't able to sleep in the beginning. But God, I've prayed. I've communed with you. I've discussed this with you. And at the end of the day, God, I trust you. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to fall asleep. And I'm going to get a great night's rest. Now, did David's enemy cease after this moment? Absolutely not. They were still chasing him. They were still looking for him. So in the middle of the night, David could have been found, could have been killed. Though he wasn't, it could have happened, and David knew that was a possibility. But here's what David said. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter how bad I'm worrying, no matter how bad I'm fretting, no matter how bad I'm stressed right now, I'm going to sleep. Well, how can you, David? Here's what he said. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Because God, I trust you with my life. I trust you when I sleep. I trust you when I'm awake. I trust you with my eternity. David 
felt at rest because God was by his side. No matter if the world around him was falling apart, David said, God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. God, I trust you to keep me safe and to protect me with the days that I have left and through the night as I sleep. I know some of you, you struggle every single day with fear and anxiety and worry, and it grips you to your core as you struggle with trusting God in various situations of your life. Learn from David. Start out praying and just getting in the presence of God like verse 6 teaches us. And then say, God, I'm going to sleep. Because whether I'm awake worrying about it or whether I'm asleep letting you handle it, either way, you're going to handle it. Because God, you're good. Me worrying, me fretting, me stressing handles nothing. But God, me communicating with you and then resting tonight and allowing you to handle it is the best thing that I can do. So friend, I encourage that to be you. If you've been betrayed, if you've been hurt in church, if you've been backstabbed, if you're worrying about something in your life that hasn't even happened yet, whatever it is, whatever's keeping you up at night, here's my word to you. Get along with God. Get in God's presence. Pray for those that are, that are your enemies. Ask God to bring them to repentance. Ask God to bless you. Ask God to be near to you. Ask God to shine his countenance upon you. And then sleep and let God handle everything else. If you say, I trust Jesus to take me to heaven. You say, I trust Jesus with my eternity, but I don't trust him with these eight hours I'm going to sleep tonight. That's a weak faith. We've got to say, God, if I trust you to take me to heaven, I can gladly trust you with these eight hours of my life. I can trust you with the next seven days of my life. I can trust you with the rest of my life. So Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you because you and only you make me dwell in safety. As always, I hope this has been a blessing. Hope Psalm 4 has encouraged you. Hope you have a great Friday and God bless. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.